Hi friends, welcome to Happy Tears. I'm Brandon. And I am Nick. And this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, in pop culture, there are a number of celebrated and legendary sci-fi universes. Star Wars, Star Trek, Alien, Planet of the Apes, just to name a few. Today, we discuss a sprawling space opera that this podcaster believes may just belong among the greats. We're discussing the comic book series, Saga. This is Happy Tears. So today, I believe we're starting with a little bit of listener feedback. Is that right, my friend? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so our last episode was our Happy Tears episode. Uh, you know, a review of the first half of the year in music. And uh, we talked about some songs that we loved from albums we loved. And uh, we asked our audience what has been their favorite albums of 2020 so far. And I'm just going to read some of the responses. We got a couple uh, folklores, some T-Swift. They came out in August, so we didn't cover any of that on ours. Ours was uh, January to July or January to June. I'm sorry. It's a great pick. I go up and down with Taylor, but I think that Folklore is one of my favorite albums of hers. I'm really, really into it. Tita and Carlos both say Folklore. And then we had uh, my brother Blake said Catch by Peter Cottontail, which is a uh, real fun, groovy album. We had our pal Chad say uh, Untitled by Salt, which uh, great pick. We are on record. Uh, <laughs> Tess uh, said Krungbin. Is that how you say nice, it? <laughs> nice vibe. <laughs> I've been trying to figure it out, and I even listened to a podcast with the artist on it, and when I finished the podcast, forgot to remember how to say it. <laughs> yeah, it's some it's something around how I said it. I usually say, krong, bong. <laughs> I'd know what you were talking about, I think. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know that new song by krong, bong? <laughs> Shabby said J.P. Sachs, hold it together. Dolan said either Women in Music Part 3, which is the Heim album, or Dreamland, which is a, the new Glass Animals album. And then Gina said uh, Marigold by Pine Grove. And uh, we had Oat Mama say that the Juliana Barwick album was, uh, gave her happy tears. She says it was so ethereal, so healing, and so beautiful, which uh, I would agree. But that also that also came out after... The, our uh, cutoff date. Of course, we appreciate listeners' feedback. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess at this point, we've covered January through June, and we're already in August. It sounds like we might do like a quarter three in music or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we talked about doing a, a Q3 in music, which I think would, would be pretty funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we will discuss several of those artists and albums in the near future. I'm betting so as well. So uh, do you have any happy tears this, since we recorded last? Nick? Yeah. The first thing, I guess I didn't really have happy tears, but this is a bummer. Uh, we found out semi-recently that they canceled the show High Fidelity. Big sad face. Sad. We had happy tears watching it at least, or I remember discussing something. But uh, yeah, that is a big bummer. We we loved covering that. Covered it with our pal Chad. 
it's a fun episode and yeah that's a that's a big bummer yeah so that that was a a true bummer and then um since we last recorded uh black is king dropped from beyonce yeah several moments of happy tears in that but the one that just uh ripped my heart out in a in a good way i guess is the song brown skin girl it is an anthem about loving the skin you're in, especially for uh, women of color specifically. The video features a number of powerful, artistic, and wonderful women. It's really great, and it also features Blue Ivy Carter singing on it. And anything that, that is like intergenerational or, or <laughs> father-son, mother-daughter uh destroys me usually and so watching that video from that incredible uh film was uh was very moving to me very cool what about you uh so i had a little situation where i was watching an episode of Mad Men, particularly uh season six episode nine the episode concludes with the song there's always something there to remind me. The Lou Johnson version, I think, recorded or at least released maybe in 1964. Yeah. And it was a uh, a really cool version of the song. But the, the scene is um, Peggy kind of goes through this big change in her life, goes into the office, and it seems like everything is still running the same, even though she, she kind of explains what happened to, to someone. And it kind of just seems like everything is just uh, continuing at the same speed, I guess. And she, you could see it on her face to where she's just, I don't know if heartbroken is the right word, but just um, super affected by everything, everyone else just kind of going along as things as planned. And after she goes this, through this pretty traumatic situation, anyways, this song comes on and part of it was just hearing like the song, it would just seemed like with new ears, because uh, I'm always used to the, the 80s version of this song. Which is great. Which yeah, for sure. And this one has a different tone to it. It feel like the uh, the chorus kind of feels more tragic and pierces a little bit harder, even though um, it's still kind of upbeat or whatever. So it was a combination of kind of being stunned by you know what was on screen plus the music because it was very fitting, but also just being surprised by the the music and the song just being so good. It's one of those one of those special moments. But anyways, it was cool. I was wondering. I was, this was going to be another listener question, but if you've ever heard a song like in a new context or, or like a, a different version of a song, you feel like you understand the song totally differently or just, yeah, the same sort of situation that I had there, I guess. Yeah. I Like I know for a fact that's happened multiple times, right? Yeah. Um, the, the quickest kind of gut reaction I have is... It's something we actually talked about when we talked about Jojo Rabbit. You know how that movie opens with... I want to hold your hand by the Beatles in yeah. German. It's a little bit different. That was just more of a fun way to flip a song, but it did have a fun and interesting meaning in that context, right? I love hearing English spoken songs in another language. I think it's so much fun. I heard a I heard I can't remember what it was and if any listener knows, please tell me. I think it was in a movie. I heard the song Yellow by Coldplay, but I think it was in Japanese and hmm. it utterly destroyed me something about (laughs) that song is just so stunningly beautiful anyway just thinking about how a song like that 
translates to another language and and is is so uh, universal, right? So all of my gut reaction options are from movies, but I'm certain that you know I've heard other things outside of film. Yeah, I just always find that uh, super interesting, and I want to open up to the audience and see if there was any if they had any experiences like that because they're they're super cool. No, oh, that's great. You want to uh, go right on into our topic for today? I'm always ready to go to space, baby. <laughs> baby. Blast off, dude. <laughs> I'll start with the synopsis from the Image Comics website. Image Comics being the comic book publisher that publishes this wonderful work of art. Uh, it goes like this. Saga is an epic space opera slash fantasy comic book series created by writer Brian K. Vaughn and artist Fiona Staples, published monthly by Image Comics. The series is heavily influenced by Star Wars and based on ideas Vaughn conceived both as a child and as a parent. It depicts two lovers from long-warring extraterrestrial races, Alana and Marco, fleeing authorities from both sides of a galactic war as they struggle to care for their newborn daughter Hazel, who occasionally narrates the series. I would, if I was writing stuff for the Image Comics website, I would take out occasionally. Like, she's straight up the narrator in my (laughs) mind. But yeah, that's not my job. (laughs) And then the Goodreads description is much shorter and it's a little more succinct, but it gives you other information. So I just wanted to add that also. And so the Goodreads description goes like this When two soldiers from opposite sides of a never ending galactic war fall in love, they risk everything to bring a fragile new life into a dangerous old universe. I also think that one's pretty damn poetic, so <laughs> so there's that. Perfect. Other things to note, just kind of right up here up top, Saga is a phenomenon. Uh, it is a New York Times bestseller. It is a Hugo Award winner. The Hugo Awards are basically the science fiction awards for achievement in science fiction, and it's won a ton of Eisner Awards, which are basically the Oscars or the Grammys of comic books. And so this is a a celebrated series. It is an ongoing series. We're still kind of right in the middle of it. If you haven't read it, we're going to tell you all about it, and you should hop on this bandwagon right now, baby! (laughs) So how uh, how did you hop on this bandwagon, Nick? So I was gifted volume one by my girlfriend partner in life Tess Hurry on a suggestion from her best friend Jessica Jessica Campbell shout out to Jessica it was actually the first non-Batman comic book I have ever read it just like opened my whole world to comic books outside of the superhero genre right the sci-fi and fantasy worlds and those are actually that's most of what I read now are are things that are um, usually still fantasy or sci-fi based this sent me down a whole new path (laughs) what about you and it, it kind of, you know, coincides with your, your love for Star Wars and, uh, you know, the epic uh, space opera, right? So much so. Yeah, so I I don't remember the very first place I saw this, but I do remember seeing this multiple times and definitely at uh, at Red Pegasus, a comic book store here in Dallas. And uh, immediately the artwork caught my eye. And from then I was like, I, I definitely want to read that at some point. And I kept seeing it because, uh, you know, new issues were were coming out or new volumes and every time I saw one of these covers they were just so striking that I was like I I bet I would love that I really want to read it and um you were someone who encouraged me to and uh our friend Ray let me borrow uh the three 
kind of hardcover books with three volumes in each of them. They're really pretty. He gave them to me. Ray's the type of person who will just like hand out books and his possessions for people to borrow, even if we just bring it up and I don't, I don't uh, ask to borrow them. So he kind of just brought them one day and gave them to me and I'm super appreciative of it. So I wanted to ask another audience question because I think that's another fun thing uh, and we can do this on Instagram. But if anyone else has something that they have seen the cover for and they've been really wanting to pick up, uh, because the cover is so striking and it doesn't have to be a, a comic book thing but there's several books I know there's a there's a book called uh, a history of seven killings by Marlon James that has this like yellow cover it's a really pretty cover and I every time I see that I'm just like I need to I need to buy this book uh, speaking of cover art the uh, artist who illustrated saga is Fiona Staples she and Brian K Vaughn the author or the writer pretty much tackled this as a as a duo for that's how Brian at least explains it and how they both you know contribute to the story and uh, Fiona is very involved in the and where the story goes as well and I think it's a really cool partnership that they've uh, that they've created absolutely and so a little background on both of them Brian K Vaughn is kind of a like a superstar writer in the world of comics he has created a number of independent comic series through like Image Comics. You know, Image Comics is a lot of what they publish are writer owned. So for example, Saga, Brian and Fiona own the copyrights to Saga. That was kind of a revolutionary thing when Image came about. You know, the classic model is DC and Marvel who if you write something for them, they they own the property. You're just writing it and contributing to it and you get royalties and what what have you. And so um, Brian K. Vaughn has written a number of both of those kind of styles of writing, right? He's created several series, including Why the Last Man was like, I think it was kind of his breakout, although he'd also worked on other Marvel and DC projects, uh, I think predating that. Obviously Saga, Paper Girls is a more recent creation of his. That story arc is is done, so that's a complete work that you could check out. He also created Marvel's Runaways as a comic book, and which has been adapted into a TV show now. And after he started his comic book writing career, he's written for Lost, the TV show Lost, and uh, the TV show Under the Dome. And he kind of got into that world by accident because Damon Lindelof was a fan of his. And so um, he's... And we're a fan of Damon's. And, oh, of course. And Brian's. And Fiona's. <laughs> all of these people. Of course. They're all great. It's what a, what a wonderful web we weave. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, he is uh, a fairly experienced writer. He is a fairly celebrated writer at this point. Um, several of those projects have been either adapted or are in the process of being adapted. We'll talk about that more later. Brian has also won a number of Eisner Awards. Again, those are the, the comic book awards. I think most of them are for Saga, but he's won 14, I think, at this point. Uh, so that's a little bit about him. Fiona Staples, she is a lesser-known artist. She is younger, has been working for much less time. I read that she kind of started working comics in 2006 and was introduced to Brian when he was just looking for an artist. He had the idea for Saga. He knew it was going to be a space opera story about uh, a child. He wanted to, you know, tell stories about having children because he had recently had a child and uh, needed an artist, was introduced to Fiona, and in 2012, 
the the first issue came out, so about five, six years into her career. Other than that, I don't think she, I mean, she had been working. I don't think that she had been awarded or anything like that. So this is her first, like, major project. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. I mean, the artwork's just incredible, but it also is just um, such a big, you know, element of of the story i feel like and so it's just a crazy that this is what she you know started with on, on a big scale yeah i mean brian actually said it really well in an interview that comic books is an artist medium you could write the best words in the world but because so much of it depends on the art and so much of the storytelling really happens visually this is just as much her creation as it is his and i believe they switch off volume to volume or issue to issue top billing, uh, which is cool. We already kind of mentioned Star Wars, we mentioned space, but this this series really does nod to a lot of different sort of franchises and different genres and, and styles of the past. There's a little bit of Star Wars in here. There's a little bit of I would say Lord of the Rings in here. There's a little bit of Harry Potter in here. All the tent poles, all the major ones. There's a little little piece from it, right? It's set in space. It is a sprawling adventure across multiple galaxies, much like Star Wars, but there are ancient peoples and races that do magic. There are mystical characters, so there will be that Lord of the Rings. And there's a little bit of the Harry Potter thing in that Hazel is growing up in real time, pretty much. It's almost like every year of publishing this comic book, she ages a year. So she's still a, a kid, um, even seven, eight, nine years into publishing this comic book, which started in 2012. Um, well, do you want to go just do a little overview, um, trying to introduce some of these characters uh, and then steer us into some some themes? And Yeah, so the, the major players are Alana and Marco. There are male and female lead. They fall in love right at the beginning. I think the opening pages, she is like giving birth. Yes. Right from the start, it is crass. It is angry it is vibrant very colorful you definitely hop right in so they give birth to this little baby her name is hazel and she is the one that kind of narrates throughout most of the volumes so they're on the run there's an intergalactic race war essentially uh between these this planet and its moon that has two races of people on it that has essentially infected the entire galaxy and every planet, every group of people has picked a side. And so the entire universe, essentially, is at war and it's been going on for so long most people don't even remember. I mean, it's a generational thing. Most people right. don't remember why they're fighting or why they picked which side. Um, <laughs> it is just, at this point, like internalized... Hatred. Right. Did we mention that Marco and Alana are on the two different sides here? or uh, Probably not. Um, thank you for catching that. <laughs> <laughs> They're from two different sides. They have this child really early on. Basically what happens is both sides find out and want to hush it up real quick. People don't even understand that these two races can procreate. Like that's how disconnected they are, right? And so both sides of this war want that to not be public knowledge because war is profitable. And so they go on the run and along the way, several different individuals hunt them. We get to know those characters. Several individuals join them and hop in and out of their lives. And right. we get to know all of them. Some of them are family members like Marco's parents 
who mm-hmm. um, are very much steeped into the hatred and the ideology of the war. And we can talk about different individuals as we go. But yeah, the, but the main thing is that they are set off on this journey from early on and they kind of remain on the run throughout this series. And it's um, worth noting that we're covering everything that's been released so far, but this is only half of what will be released in this entire arc. Right, so it's nine volumes, which were 54, I think, individual issues that have all been collated together. Apparently, we're at the halfway point, so we can expect probably nine more volumes, um, which is insane and will take forever. So as these people come in and out of... Marco and Alana and Hazel's lives. You know, obviously themes come out of storytelling. And first and foremost is family, right? How families are made and the relationships within them, both from kind of the biological standpoint, but also the family that you choose, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another one is just compassion uh, in a race war. And one thing that you notice is even as they run into characters who seem to be uh, against them or against their situation of being together, those characters often realize that you know, they are just like them, even even if they, you know, thought that they were their enemy at first. And so along the way, you get a lot of, of that. And then these main characters just struggling with how it affects them personally and kind of going through, Marco particularly, going through this inner turmoil of having to not want to be this uh, kind of violent person and going through this struggle of like how to keep himself from from going to those those places so uh a lot of you know internal struggle as well as uh as the external as they're as they're always on the run yeah i mean his journey is pretty remarkable just the remarkable? idea of, of what remarkable <laughs> remarkable <laughs> uh classic the the idea of how can a pacifist because that's what he is from the at the beginning at least you know mm-hmm. he refuses to raise a sword in battle while multiple multiple forces are fighting to exterminate him you know and so so that struggle is is very uh real and then so death is a huge part of this series brian vaughn has spoken in in multiple interviews the one that i really sunk my teeth into the most there was a barnes and noble podcast and he was talking about writing culture really of the last the modern era the last decade or so the last few years really in the franchise era of of writing both in films and other other media death can be kind of cheapened in the many ways that characters kind of come back to life are reincarnated or never really died in the first place you know there's especially when we think about the marvel universe and and there's you know so many different um examples of a character quote-unquote dying but it's not the last time we're going to see them right that is something right. that Saga leans so hard away from in that many beloved characters along the way meet their demise, and it's permanent, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Brian K. Vaughn has said that fiction is a really great tool for us as people to learn how to deal with real-life tragedies and should be embraced, and so it was important to him to kind of make those deaths and other very serious traumatic things have some weight in his story yeah you definitely feel them they make a a big impact because it's being told in in the manner of when i was 
three, here's what happened, I think it does really lend some weight to those things, right? There is an emotional heft when you're talking about a friend or, you know, a character in a story that you knew personally when you were a child passing, right? Yeah, I think that's a, a really neat thing, too. So, you know, at all these points, you feel the pain of the narrator as you know that she has gone through all of these things to get where she's at now, which we don't uh, we don't know until the end of this. But yeah, it's a super effective uh, storytelling technique, and I think the way that Fiona is able or like chooses to show the narration on the page is pretty cool too, since um, it's like not in the the bubbles. It's kind of in this like just um, handwritten text that kind of shows up throughout. She usually comes in with some pretty stunning uh, one-liners that just kind of uh, pierce you in the heart. Yeah, I mean... They could either be quite funny or they could just be devastating. (laughs) You know, I'll go ahead and read one. This is the opening of issue number six, which is the last chapter of the first volume. So I'm I'm just going to read the narration. There's other dialogue and obviously images happening. But yeah, like like this this one is really great. And again, I'm just reading the narration, so I'm leaving a lot of out, but here it is. Once upon a time, each of us was somebody's kid. Everyone had a father, even if he never provided anything more than his seed. Everyone had a mother, even if she had to leave us on a stranger's doorstep. No matter how we're eventually raised, all of our stories begin the exact same way. They all end the same way, too. Boom! I mean, like, (laughs) fuck, that's poetic. And that, that kind of stuff is all over these issues. You know, narration is something that I've always really gravitated towards. A lot of people, especially on film Twitter, shit all over narration. Or they, a lot of people just don't like it. But for whatever reason, I have, I mean, unless it's done horribly and, and, it, and it can be done horribly and it has. Yeah, it can be cheesy for sure. Right. But like an example is the original cut of Blade Runner, which I've only seen once, had voiceover that. The studio forced on the movie, both Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford hated it, and I think the consensus is most fans hated it, but I really liked it for some reason, (laughs) and I haven't seen it in a long time, and I love the final cut, and I'm trying to keep all of my cool cinephile points, but something about being in the character's head, especially in film, because that's not often the way film is told, right? It's usually a very third-person point of view. It can be used in a very effective way, especially when you're doing something like juxtaposing what we're seeing and what the narrator is saying, something like that. But even outside of that, it's just something that I often gravitate towards. And like I've I've been toying with the idea of writing a comic book, and I know that if I do, I'm going to to use this technique because it's great, and it's part of what makes Saga feel so personal. For sure. You know, we talk about that the storytelling uh, is really great, and I think the character arc over these nine volumes have been uh, has been stellar. But I think the style of this and just this world building, there's a the colors are super rich. There's some really wild looking creatures. Uh, there's grotesque looking creatures, also extremely cute looking creatures that we come to come to love. Yep, <laughs> like goose. Goose is great. Um, and so just from a creative standpoint, I think, and they're hopping from, from world to world here. I just, I think there's a really cool, they do a, a pretty stunning job at uh, making these worlds come alive through the illustrations, but but really through the, the color and the character design. And then the other thing is just the how uh, we talked about the family elements of this and, you know, elements of grief and stuff. So these are all portrayed in a very 
kind of realistic way, even with like when we're seeing things that are wild and, and foreign looking to us, I guess. So we've talked about the compassion, the family, the grief, all these wonderfully poignant themes. Something that definitely should be mentioned is this comic is dirty. <laughs> it is crass language. It is hypersexual, body parts of all of the gender varieties <laughs> and the non-binary varieties even there, and it is a bloody and violent. It is, this is rated R, this is a hard R, as one might say. <laughs> um, so, if you are into that, this is all, you'll be all over this. If you are not super major warning. I lent this to my younger brother without having read it in a long time, and I had forgotten, A, how violent and crass and uh, sexual it is. And he's he's not square. He's cool. He's hip, daddy-o. <laughs> he's cool, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it is all of those things, and it is fairly progressive in its ideology, right? So it definitely covers, A, a lot of topics that are very timely, right? To me, that sounds like there's a little bit of something for everybody in this but to someone who might be sensitive to those topics it's something to be considered for sure so so without getting more into um you know different parts of the story are there particular scenes or characters that you'd love that that you want to share i'll tell you my favorite character it is isabel who happens to be a ghostly babysitter (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So there's also ghosts, if we didn't mention that. (laughs) Isabel gets her spirit attached to the baby's soul and is becomes the nighttime babysitter. That's fair, right? That's not too spoilery. That's like that's the origin story. Yeah. Um, And she's a teenager that was killed in the war. And she's like the cool hip teen that uh, really becomes the first additional member of the family. She is the first of the family that they choose, right? I love her relationship to Alana and really everyone, but and and even her relationship to Hazel, who is so who's so little at the time that they become a family with Isabel, but. Again, going back to the way the narration works, you can tell how much tenderness is felt for Isabel in the way the narration plays alongside the story that we're seeing. So I love Isabel. <laughs> yeah, she's one of my one of my favorites as well. Two of my favorite characters are uh, Upshur and Duff. Yeah, they're great. They're uh, amphibious journalists. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think part of it's just the character design. Like, I love... I think the way that they're introduced to us, they're, the way they're dressed, like I automatically know who they are when I see them. And I think it's just hilarious. And I, and I think they're, yeah, their design's just, just phenomenal. <laughs> so I think that's another really, really fun thing is that like you're able to connect uh, with these creatures based on just like really small parts of their appearance or like a clothing choice that they have, even though that they are green and have fins or something, you know, like they, it's, I think it's a really, just really smart design, but I I like their kind of quirkiness and stuff. As far as character goes, there's just, there's a a ton of them throughout and some of them you love from the beginning and, or or you start to like, and then they kind of, 
take a turn for and and you definitely don't like them anymore even though they were kind of going in the right direction um and vice and versa right i mean and vice versa for sure there are many characters that start off as villains or opposite the our heroes in in right. their desires and we come to love many of them i would say i right. mean there's so many characters that uh and it's so well written and uh everyone gets substantial story right like everyone's arc everyone gets an arc like every side character has a backstory and usually ha- you know plays there are a couple of red shirts or whatever what you would call a red shirt from star trek people that just get killed <laughs> off but i'm looking at a just a list on on wikipedia of the characters and almost all of the like 20 plus of them are significant yeah absolutely but one thing i i really love about this story is I was after Game of Thrones, I was really looking for something of this, you know, like epic scale with characters that we kind of follow in separate segments, deaths that are meaningful, like there's like big consequences, um, high high stakes, high stakes, you know, characters that you you love and and grow with or, or learn to love or whatever. So and after that gave us such a heart wrenchingly disappointing ending (laughs) um yeah i was just wanting something big and 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 fun and uh kind of something that had a sense of wonder that had a huge scale and this kind of filled that that void for me and i'm just super excited that there's another half uh for us to still still uh discover so yeah i mean it's it's funny that you mentioned game of thrones because i was thinking about this so Brian K. Vaughn has mentioned that as of now, there is no plans to adapt this to another medium, despite many, many offers. And so uh, it's something that he, A, he likes that despite also being a film and TV writer, he is like a comic book guy first, and he likes that to experience a story like this, you kind of got to come play in his sandbox and venture into the world mm-hmm. of comics, which I respect because any... I know I would would chase that big check if it were me. But I was thinking about what it would take to actually achieve, to execute this. <laughs> it would be Game of Thrones style budgets, right? I mean, it would have to be, it would be so expensive to go to these different worlds, to pay this many actors, to, uh, you know, just cover this grand of a scale of a story. So it would, it would obviously have to, I don't think, unless you did a huge saga of movies like Star Wars, which took them 40 years <laughs> to do that with huge breaks, I guess, but it would have to be, you know, a television series, a limited series of some kind, right? And it would cost a lot of money. Yeah, I just think it works so perfectly in this in this medium that it's hard for me to think of it really any other way besides... Fiona just like illustrating the animation for this or something. Right. Yeah. Like, like, you know what I mean? If they do make it, of course I will buy a ticket or I will subscribe to whatever service because uh, it's incredible, but I am happy to enjoy it in this way. You know, there's a lot about class in these pages also, right? Obviously, Prince Robot being of royalty in his society um, and the way he looks down at the commoners that he's sent after. Right. And every everyone that he interacts with. Um, but even 
in the war itself that is the backdrop of this entire story, you know, there there does seem to be sort of a class element to the two sides. There's the people on the planet and the people on the moon. The biggest difference is the people on the planet are more technological in their society. They look more a little more human, I would say, right? They're a little more anthropomorphic. Humanoid. <laughs> Humanoid. Yeah. They essentially look like humans, with, just with kind of like um, the the wings of like a bug or something. Um, right. Uh, and they're allied with the robot people, who are these human bodies with robot screen faces, or sorry, television screen faces. And then the people of the moon, they speak another language, and they are magic users. And so there are notes of like kind of an indigenous people to them right it's very native american a lot of their uh their traditions seem similar to kind of a tribal culture uh in our world and i think that there is commentary there about kind of a class struggle even their language which is a made-up obviously for this this series language kind of looks latin based like sometimes it looks a little like spanish or something uh, and so mm-hmm. I, it, it is interesting you know when these two characters come together it is an inter it's very literally an interracial marriage right but it is a commentary on just that right the way that we as humans uh choose to see race and choose to, to other others Certainly. Like, I think just going off that, you get the same sort of uh, commentary through Hazel and kind of that, uh, even her own personal reflection or just how she is, you know, a child of these two different races. They do a really great job at um, tackling a lot of a lot of these issues carefully, but there's a lot of fun along the way. Even as we watch Hazel grow up, you know, she has... To so she has both wings and horns. I guess I didn't mention that the moon planet people have horns that look like a like a goat or a ram, right? And mm-hmm. she's the only being in the universe apparently that has the wings of the one race and the horns of the other race. And so she has to she can't really hide the horns, so they have to tape down her wings when she goes to school because eventually she has to, you know, become part of society. And it even just makes me think about beauty standards of America and how so much of it is around what is accepted in white culture uh, in terms of like I, I, I know that there have been stories in the news about dress codes where certain hairstyles that are more common with people of color are, are like against the rules right and so the kind of discriminatory way that we look at race in our culture there's just there there are a lot of of small details like that that just connect and it all comes back to this idea of compassion and understanding that even though we are all different in you know in physical appearance. ways and in, in appearance yeah. yeah on these superficial levels we are all the fucking same <laughs> But we're not treated the same, and and we're not the same until our institutions choose to see us that way. Yeah, so I guess we'll go straight into our happy tears. And for me personally, there's quite a few instances where I was either, uh, where the tears were either creeping or occasionally they were devastating. They do a, a fantastic job at giving you both the highs and the lows, I guess, right? Like they have these really, really sweet uh, family moments, um, you know, child parent moments or moments of discovery when Hazel's 
young on other uh, worlds or with with other people that she is introduced to along the way that I think were really emotional moments that I uh, and tender moments that I felt. There's one that's kind of a mixture of both. That's uh, we get this kind of someone leaves their uh, circle, I guess is how I'll put it. And there's a representation of them that stays around for a bit. And the way that that's handled and um, is just really carefully, but, but it's, yeah, it's, it's devastating and beautiful in equal measure, which is, if you've read it, you might understand, uh, but I don't want you to understand it if you haven't read it. (laughs) And then there's several points of, of people dying here that I think are just gut-wrenching yeah and then the way this whole the way this whole thing ends uh the way volume nine ends um is is hard to deal with for two years or whatever this yeah so again won't spoil it but volume nine which is all that's been published so far ends with a very significant moment that is going to completely alter the story from this point onward and it's it's a pivotal point it, it was my biggest, you know, moment of happy tears for sure. And because they took such a long hiatus between that, it's just so, uh, you know, just you want more so badly. But I think it makes it all, maybe all the more that impactful because you do have to wait. You have to sit in it for a while, sit in the consequences of that or the ramifications of it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm there with you on that one. And then I, I, I'm just remembering this now, so I don't have like a volume or a page or even remember when in the story it is. But it's using that narration, which we've talked about a lot, and it's something along the lines of she pinpoints the moment where she realized that there were people in this world that wanted to do her harm, that not everyone loves her. And mm-hmm. I've never thought about that as a child. You know, it's like I don't, I don't know when I realized that. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, everyone at some point sort of realizes that not everyone loves you. But again, going back to this is in a race war and people hate her because of superficial what she looks like, right? Mm-hmm. What she is. And you connect that to being a person of color or being a woman, right? You and I are both are both men. But to understand, I, I wonder if the women in our lives could pinpoint the moment when they understood that they were a target to some people more so than than boys are right um and so so those moments again i can't remember that specific moment like when it is in the story but it is it is impactful there's there's a lot of heft to it and it's heavy it's beautiful in many ways and heavy in many ways and i really appreciate the way they build this story it is good and bad it is bittersweet it is high and low it is so much of what is wonderful and terrible about the world and it is if part of the goal of Brian K. Vaughn is to write a story that that reflects the duality of the world then then you know they nail it totally and also Lion Cat rules and we haven't mentioned Lion Cat once so Lion Cat is awesome that's a character yeah we'll let our audience discover discover Lion Cat themselves yeah perfect <laughs> these are available as as volumes uh there's nine of them and uh but they're also available in these pretty big uh hardcover books that have three volumes each in them i imagine these are at your public library i For imagine sure. uh you could find a 
comic book store near you and support them and pick them up. I really appreciate the way Brian K. Vaughn writes and and his concepts are so um, ambitious and awesome and out there. And I want to read all of his stuff now. I'm I'm like I'm a I'm a fan. Super fan. Super fan. Super fan. Um, well, what else are you a fan of, Nick? As in, what would I recommend for our listeners to check out? Yeah, I like that. So I've become a much bigger fan of foreign film in the last year than I was in the previous 30 years of my life. Um, some of that has been thanks to your friendship and your guidance. Oh. And so I've been watching a lot of foreign film. And one of my favorites lately is a movie from the 90s by a Chinese filmmaker named Wan Kar Wai. It's called In the Mood for Love. It's on HBO Max. It is the story of a man and a woman who are both married. They become neighbors. And as their husband and wife cheat on them with each other, they entertain the idea of cheating together themselves, if that makes sense. Um, and it is a insanely poignant and beautiful story about loneliness, about commitment, about what to do when your world falls apart. And the cinematography and the color of it is some of the most stunning imagery I've seen on film. In that way, it does remind me a lot of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, although stylistically it's completely different. But they are both so striking, stunning, and absolutely gorgeous films. In the Mood for Love by Wan Kar Wai on HBO Max. Go go watch it right now. Yeah, it's got he Wan Kar Wai is such a strong visual language in his films and I feel like um this one it just kind of has like this intoxicating kind of nature to it that pulls you in with and like you're saying with the color like there's all these deep reds and um yeah I I'd recommend I have the criterion of this if you want to watch some of the special features I need it right you, now you should because <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty they're pretty great but um yeah it's a beautiful beautiful film um and I highly recommend it as well what else do you recommend there's this up-and-coming artist who goes by Barty Strange Barty Strange uh he's released two singles off of his upcoming album uh the singles are titled Mustang and Boomer and this guy just mixes what I feel like he just loves a ton of different music. And I feel like you can tell and he mixes those uh, genres pretty seamlessly and with um, so much confidence, I feel like, uh, that it just like it makes sense, even even though I don't know, like I'm not sure if it should. Um, but so I'll add Mustang to our our uh, Happy Tears mixtape playlist, but he's just, uh, he's his album comes out October 2nd, and um, just two f really fun songs. He's in, out of uh, Washington, D.C. right now, but he grew up kind of, um, in his younger years, his, his uh, dad was in the military, and they moved around kind of all over the place, and I think at 12 years old or so, he settled in, in Oklahoma for a while, and then He's now in, in Washington, D.C., but uh, just a really cool artist. If you like bands like TV on the radio or uh, even like Kings of Leon, I feel like there's some of that in, in there. But um, yeah, I, it's funny. I saw uh, our uh, 
you know, one of our favorite authors at the moment, uh, Hanif Abdirakib, he commented, he either posted about it or commented on his video. Um, but it's so funny because it's like, yeah, of course he likes he likes this. It's like <laughs> yeah. mixes like hardcore and emo, I, all these things together. And it's like, I feel like if Hanif had a band, this is maybe what it would sound yeah, like. You know? That's so true. Like, cause he, he just has such an appreciation for so many styles of music. And so, well, that's, that's funny um, you say that. Cause I, I, you shared, you shared both songs with me at different points. Um, yeah. But the most recent one, I think you sent me Mustang. And at first I was like, oh, this is cool. It's like a rapper rapping over rock music. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, Boomer was the one, I, that one. That one. And, and it was like, I have to listen to it again. But I, I couldn't tell if it was like, this kind of sounds like maybe if most Def had a rock ba- band behind them. I don't know if that's accurate. But that would be, I think... Uh, in line with Hanif's taste, at least. Um, <laughs> but then he goes into the chorus, and he, for a second, I was like, oh, shit, did he just turn into Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy? Because it sounds like that. <laughs> and that is so Hanif Adurakib. So um, I'm, I'm glad you said that. It's Yeah. He's super They're cool. big songs with big riffs and big choruses, and they're just super fun. So I'm really stoked for his, his album coming out. Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can like our Facebook page, Happy Tears Podcast. You can follow at Happy Tears Pod on Twitter and follow at Happy Tears Podcast on Instagram. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That is super beneficial to helping us find uh, more listeners. You know, we took a break for a while, but we're back at it. We've got a nice slate of content scheduled to come out, and we would love for you to listen to that and to help us find more people to spread the good word about these good happy tears. Our original theme music is by Homage. You could find uh, more of his music at youtube.com slash Homage Beats or on Instagram at Homage Beats. You should check out our Spotify playlist, Happy Tears Mixtape. We put songs on there that we love and that we cover on the podcast for you to enjoy. And along with that, we have made a playlist called Happy Tears that includes a lot of the, the music that we covered on our previous episode. Songs that we love from the first half of the year. Next week on the podcast, we are doing something a little different than we've done in the past. We're so enamored by Fiona Apple's newest project, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. We thought it was a great opportunity to do a deep dive on her entire catalog. Um, me, personally, I ha- had never really listened to Fiona previous to Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Brandon has listened to everything, I think. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> you mean everything of all time? That's ever existed. <laughs> I've listened to half of that, the first half. And so catch us next week as we start our deep dive of the Fiona Apple catalog. On Happy Tears. Farewell! Farewell.